Well, hello and welcome to the Soft UK podcast. I'm Kate Hart, the Engagement Officer for the charity Soft, and it's a support organisation for families affected by price in 13 and 18. In today's episode, we have a special guest who will be providing us with some really useful insights into the world of genetic testing and counselling. Joining us today is Beth Hughes, training genetic counsellor who works at Nottingham City Hospital. Welcome, Beth. Hello, thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Um, So we'll be discussing the roles of consultants and genetic counsellors. We'll be exploring the various types of genetic testing available and hopefully shedding some light on some of the ethical considerations and implications of genetic information. So we hope that whether you're a parent seeking guidance, a healthcare professional looking to expand your knowledge, or you're just curious about the world of genetics, we hope that this episode is for you. So let's dive in. Um, Beth, can you tell us what first inspired you to get into this line of work? Yeah, so I've always been someone who enjoys people facing roles and I'm a bit of a science nerd, to be truthful. So when I found something like genetic counselling, which was combining that patient facing role and supporting people. But I can also be a bit of a science nerd on the side. It just felt like definitely the right career for me, um, which sort of led me to here where I am today, I suppose. Amazing. Um, And could you tell us a bit about the training that was involved and and your career path to date? Yes. So my background is I did a bachelor's in biology and geology, actually. So a bit of a mix. But there was a a few units which were looking at genetics and as well looking at evolution and how genetics has influenced that. And it was that sort of first introduction of more complex genetics and how genetic differences occur. And that's sort of led me to encouraging my science, science love. But I also have always been a people person, whether that's volunteering at Bristol Museum for their dinosaur takeover week uh, mm-hmm. and then doing other things as well. Um, so when I was then looking at what to do post uni, as a lot of us unfortunately get a bit like, oh, gosh, what do I do next? And then was introduced to something called the Scientist Training Programme or the STP, which the NHS holds. And there's lots and lots of different ways you can go. So some like sleep science or audiology. So as soon as I found genetic counselling and finding out that I could be supporting patients, as well as getting stuck in with the science and learning more about different genetic conditions and the impacts that those have and how to support people who are experiencing those and their family members may be experiencing it as well. So that really led me to really want to get onto the training course. And uh, I had to uh, apply a few times to get on, not going to lie to you, it took me three attempts, but over those three attempts, between those three years, I'd done counseling courses and I'd worked for charities as training officer and supporting young people with their mental health and wellbeing difficulties. So it gave me a lot of brilliant skills to then come onto the STP and hopefully be a very, very good, successful genetic counsellor at the end of this three-year course. <laughs> Amazing. Sounds very, it sounds like a very competitive environment. So, um, yeah, well done for, for making it through. Thank you. And Beth, how did you become familiar with Soft UK? What do you know about our charity? Mm. So I was uh, part of the STP. We do a master's in clinical science 
and I was writing an essay to do with the preconceptions around disability. So when I was looking online about what charities and support networks there are for families in the UK, that's when I came across Soft UK and reading some of the stories from parents and families and it sort of opened my eyes to a experience I've, I've, I've not had and it was really valuable to then know that Soft UK exists when I know that I'm going to be seeing patients who might find Soft UK a really useful mm. resource and help mm. for them. Amazing. So um, Beth, could you explain to us the role of a genetic counsellor in the context of genetic testing and, and counselling please? When it comes to genetic counselling, so the word counsellor in our title, we're not a therapeutic counsellor. So it wouldn't be we see patients who are coming to us for mental health or well-being concerns. We will be seeing patients where it's got there's a genetic concern. So it might be that a patient um, is at risk of a particular genetic condition or maybe they've got a working diagnosis of a condition and then we can then offer genetic testing to confirm that for them. And it can be a range of conditions. So it could be something like a, per a person's developed early onset dementia or someone's mum had breast cancer at a young age and unfortunately passed away. So this patient is wondering if maybe there's a cancer predisposition gene. So a gene that gives them an increased risk of developing certain cancers or something like a chromosome rearrangement where one chromosome is stuck somewhere else what that we wouldn't expect and we can see patients of all ages so we see people in pregnancy and as well into old age so it's a whole spectrum of types of patients really and in an appointment so say someone's had a referral to genetics from their gp we then look at taking have a chat with them about why they've come to the appointment what they think but also we take a personal medical history, see if there's any clues we can find as to mm -hmm. if there's something genetic going on. And also we can draw out a family history as well, sometimes called a pedigree. And that's really useful in genetics because there could be a pattern on, ah, we can see that there's a, a few things which seem to be appearing on your mum's side of the family. So maybe that's might, might be something is coming from. Or is it that actually only men seem to be affected rather than women? And this can give us some clues as to what types of testing and what we need to look for. And then once we've got that idea, we can then have a look at organising some genetic testing if it's appropriate and then work with the patient on what that means if they have a test, how they feel if they get a result, which means that they do have a genetic change, a gene change or a genetic condition. And we can do follow-ups with patients afterwards. So it's not just one appointment. We can see people over a number of appointments and we see some families as well. If, say, a, a sister or child, then maybe they're at risk of having a gene change as well. Okay. Interesting. So although it's not CBT, there is some sort of emotional support. You're not just um, providing information. You are following up and, and sort of giving that emotional side to what a diagnosis could mean and, and how it can change somebody's life really mm, certainly because if we're going to be giving someone potentially a diagnosis that you will develop this um, maybe muscular dystrophy or you will develop early onset dementia those can be really difficult things to know in your future so mm. 
say for someone you know similar age to me and I don't currently have children if I then know that I've got this gene change that's going to mean I'm going to develop something later on in life how is that going to impact my family planning and my relationships Mm -hmm. with my partner and potentially relationships with my parents as well if I know that Mm -hmm. they're going to develop something as well Mm -hmm. so when someone comes to genetics we don't just give them the information like you said and then yep let's get testing send you away Mm -hmm. there's much more to it exploring what actually having a genetic test means and it's also important to note that if you have a genetic test and you find out your result whether it's you have a gene change or you don't it's not just you that potentially is going to be affected because it could mean that family members are also have at risk or have chance of having that genetic condition or gene change too so it's not always the case it depends on what type of result is found but sometimes that can be really difficult, say, if it's um, a dad in their 50s and they've already got two children, maybe they're at university and they find out that they've got a genetic heart condition. It can then be, oh, gosh, you know, is there a chance that my children can have this? What is their mm-hmm. risk? Um So we always work through that before having testing to make sure that if someone okay. does have genetic testing, because if you're given that result, you can't have it taken away. Mm. That's the right thing for them to have at the time. And we also, at the results appointment, we make sure that we're checking with how someone's feeling. And as well, if they want to be telling their relatives, whether it's you know partners, children, anyone else, we can also help in how to have that conversation. Because genetics is quite complex. And mm. sometimes if you've got to be telling um a, ch- a child whether they're you know teenager or a little bit younger that can be quite hard to get across yeah. especially if they don't have that scientific background or they've not done their GCSEs yet so we can mm. also help in that as well okay perfect um I think that this all leads quite nicely to the next question which is what types of testing um is actually available and how do they differ in terms of what they can feel Mm-hmm. So I guess broadly, we sort of put them into three main types in terms of we'd have like a diagnostic test. So say if someone has symptoms of something in particular, we would then do a genetic test to see if um, that explains the condition. Something called pre-symptomatic. So say someone in the family's had a diagnostic test. So say if we take that 50-year-old dad from earlier, So maybe he'd had some heart symptoms. We do a genetic test and he's found to have a genetic heart condition. Maybe his brother is then thinking, oh, hang on, do I have this as well? But he doesn't have any symptoms, so he's not got any concerns. So we'd call him having a test that would be pre-symptomatic. So before any symptoms have come about. Mm -hmm. And there's also something called carrier testing. So in carrier testing, that means that if someone is found to have a gene change, so a difference in their DNA, that can cause a genetic condition, but that person isn't affected themselves. So uh, this can mean if someone's a carrier of, say, a cyst- of cystic fibrosis, if they choose to have a child and they have a child with someone who is also a carrier of cystic fibrosis, then there's a chance that they may have a child with cystic Mm. fibrosis. So the parents are 
what we call healthy carriers, but their yeah. child, because it could be passed on, may have the condition themselves. So they're sort of the three sort of broadly main types. And when we see a patient, depending on their personal history and their family history, depends on what we might be offering, whether it would be diagnostic or pre-symptomatic or carrier. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of different types of genetic tests that fall into those mm-hmm. types, whether it's something like whole genome sequencing or something called fish or a microarray. So lots of different um, ways of looking at people's DNA. Uh, and okay. I think uh, so the word genetic test can sort of sound a bit scary, but we do genetic testing on a blood sample. So for the patient, they'd have a, have a blood test and then it would be sent to the lab and they'd be doing the different test that the genetic counsellor or a consultant has ordered. Sometimes though we do use saliva. So it could be called like a buckle mm. sample. And we can do that when we're looking to test for mosaicism. So if we're seeing if someone's got, if they're mosaic for a particular condition, and that can be seen in trisomy 13 and 18. Mm-hmm. So it could be a saliva sample um, as well. And if someone is really, really struggling with needles, we can have a look at getting a saliva test as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously we don't want to be putting someone through a lot of trauma if they just want to have a genetic yeah. test. <laughs> yeah. And going back to the carrier um, type of testing, I think in the world of trisomy 13 and 18, there's a condition where it's balanced translocation, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yes. yes. So if someone's got a balanced translocation, what that means is if you look at their DNA down a microscope, which we'd call a carrier type. We'd look down at down a microscope and we could see that a bit of DNA where we'd expect it to normally be in one place is moved somewhere else. So if we're thinking about um, trisomy, if we think about chromosomes, so if we go right back to basics, our bodies are made up of cells. And in those cells, each cell contains our DNA. And DNA is it's instructions for who you are. It makes you up, essentially. It gives the instructions for mm-hmm. how to make you. And that DNA, they're like packaged together in chromosomes. And we have 23 pairs of chromosomes. So we have a chromosome, we have two chromosome ones, two chromosome twos, etc. Now, the reason we have pairs is because we get one of our chromosomes from mum and one from dad. Now, when it comes to a translocation, it means that one of those bits of one of those chromosomes is on a different one. So sometimes when the DNA is making new DNA and it's separating itself, they get a bit stuck together. And you can hear the phrase balanced translocation. So balanced means that the person, it has a bit of chromosome on a different chromosome but they don't have any more or less DNA. They've got still got the um, normal amount. So that person is unlikely to have any symptoms or enter any concerns themselves. But it could be that when they then go on to have children, that because they've got one of their chromosomes stuck somewhere else, when they're making their eggs or their sperm, 
when those chromosomes try to um, replicate themselves and separate themselves into the DNA for the egg or the sperm, that it's not quite copied as we'd expect. Mm -hmm. So it can be that, say, if there's um, a bit of chromosome 13 where we wouldn't expect in a diff on it, like stuck to a different chromosome, when that DNA in an egg or sperm separates, rather than there being two copies of triso of um, chromosome 13, instead it has three copies. So mm -hmm. that egg, rather than just having the one chromosome 13 and that sperm having the one chromosome 13 so when the baby's conceived they've got two mm -hmm. that egg actually has two copies so mm -hmm. when the egg or the sperm meets the other egg or the sperm that's just got one we then get three okay. so that's where we get our trisomies coming in so trisomy just means three so three yeah. chromosomes um okay. yeah Fantastic. Thank you. That was a very, um, very excellent explanation. No problem. So as a genetic counsellor, what is your approach to helping individuals and families navigate the complexities of this genetic information? Mm. So I think it's key to, key to say that we are non-directive, so we're not going to tell you what to do. So if a patient comes in, maybe they've got a balanced translocation, so maybe they've got a higher chance of having a baby with um, Edward or Patel's. We're not going to tell that parent what they should be doing around family planning. If they become pregnant, we're not going to tell them what to do. But we will explain what their options are to them and explore how that would feel. So you know, how would it feel to maybe potentially end a pregnancy or how would it feel to have a child that's got Edward or Patel's? and see what that person thinks and say if there are is a couple that we're seeing help them navigate the conversation as well between each other by giving them that safe space and in terms of the genetic side we'll give all the relevant information that that person needs to say make a decision if they want to have any genetic testing and um, give them information about how it might impact them down the line. So say if a 21-year-old is really, really convinced that they want to know if they're going to develop Huntington's later on, so maybe in a couple of decades or so, if they're really, really convinced they want to know, we can then just see why have they got, you know, help them understand why they've got to that place. Is it because of the experience they've seen with their family or is it that actually they really, really want to have a baby in the next couple of years and um, they want to know if they can access some special IVF yeah, things around that? Mm. Um, so the key, key thing is that with the genetic counsellor and the same for our genetic consultants as well, is that we will be explaining the genetic side and try and get that understanding across to the patient but we are that more, you know, more supportive place. So if someone is very upset, you know, we're not going to just have that 10 minute appointment and send you out the door. Yeah. There is that longer appointment and have the opportunity to explore things and express things that they may not be able mm -hmm. to in uh, another, another location, say in at, at home when, you know, maybe they're 
Dan doesn't quite understand it, what they're going through, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And I suppose as well, when you explain the implications, some people may choose at that point not to have the testing for their own personal reasons. Mm-hmm. They may decide that knowing is too difficult or um, perhaps some people opt not to change anything anyway um, or do anything about it. So they may just continue um in the dark so to say mm-hmm. um so yeah if you give people those options then i suppose or, or you can hold their hand through it through the process and through what's involved in testing then they can make their own decisions yes yes the patient making their own decision is is key because it's not it's not me who's going to be finding out about their genetics it's going to be that person mm-hmm. and if they, you know, could come into the appointment and are really adamant, yes, I really, really want this test. But when we go through things with them and explore it, if they change their mind, then that's, you know, that's the patient's choice. We want to make sure they've got all that information so that they can make the best decision for them. But if that patient says, don't want to have testing today, that's okay. It could be that in a year, few years time they get back in touch and say you know what I'm actually ready to have some have genetic Mm. testing now I'd like to have a conversation with you again about how to start that and that's again fine that's what clinical genetics is is there for yeah okay brilliant um and can we talk about ethics now What, what considerations may arise when it comes to genetic testing um and how do you approach these dilemmas potentially hmm so Obviously, with genetics, because we share our genes with our family members, our result can have impacts to other people in the family. So you can see that um, if, say, a child has had some had genetic testing and then it find out that maybe mum or dad has a gene that has then led to the child having a condition, it can have a bit of parental guilt and mm. parents can you know, be quite concerned about, you know, why why this has happened to their child or say it's only one child, not another. So, you know, we want to explain that no one, you know, no one's going can choose, you know, whether that is passed on when a baby's conceived yeah. naturally. And uh, if you don't know about a gene ahead of time, then you can't make those decisions. So work through mm. with patients about that. And as well, and it's helping families when it comes to how a sibling might respond. So whether that's um, if a a child is found to have a particular condition, how might their sibling who might not have any concern, so wouldn't think they have the condition, how might they react if you know there's a right my you know baby brother or sister this is, you know, this is why they're unwell and this is, you know, what they might encounter in the next few years with their health. And I know from your other podcast episodes that you've had people discussing about their process of choosing to, you know, end pregnancies or continue pregnancies. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, a big ethical um, part of, of genetics when we're seeing pregnant patients and what their decisions are and what's going to be best for them and again it's that approach of being non-directive and allowing that space for people to be emotional and be 
you know, potentially angry or scared or about their decisions, but as well, sometimes getting a diagnosis for a patient can be a bit of a relief, whether it's Mm. finally I've got the answers to why, you know, I've had these health concerns or right, I've got the answer for why my child has been having these problems. I can then get Mm. treatments in place. So it's not always doom and gloom. Sometimes actually the ethics of or whether do we test or do we not test that patient sort of sits on but actually the emotions around it can be a bit of relief of right we can get the treatment in place we've got an answer we've finished our diagnostic odyssey potentially Mm, yeah yeah brilliant that makes sense um and basically tell us how you collaborate with other healthcare professionals um and who is normally what who would those healthcare professionals normally be in the world of genetic testing Mm -hmm. so if we're thinking of um the pregnancy side or you know young children babies so we do collaborate with fetal medicine pediatrics neonatal units um because it could be that something's picked up on a scan and maybe testing's been done by fetal medicine and then we sort of go through and explain what those results are and similarly we might um, our consultants may go and visit babies on the ward if they've been born they've been admitted and they're not very well our consultants may go in visit because having that um, having looking at a baby can be useful in helping giving us some clues on what genetic condition they may have uh, but in cre- we're seeing we're working with an increasing number of departments so think about like heart conditions so we have links with cardiology similarly because of the cancer risks and cancer predisposition genes we work with cancer units as well and as well with renal genetic testing so we're working with renal departments too and that's only increasing as more genetic testing becomes available so we follow something called the national genetic test directory and that directory um, is only you know imp- increasing in number of tests and so we're able to test for more things so we're getting links with more and more departments as time progresses so um i'm sure the list is going to be very very endless very very short yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to hear that there is that collaboration in place and that mm-hmm. sounds like it's moving more so in that direction so that's that's certainly good news definitely and sometimes we We'll get emails or phone calls into our departments of, you know, a doctor or clinician from a different specialty saying, right, just want to ask a few questions or I've got a bit of concerns about this patient. and I think there might be something genetic. Mm. So we have that sort of reciprocal work with with other departments and as well as having lots of MDTs with genetic staff cropping in. Um, but it's really lovely to have those connections. I guess it's a bit of a unique way of being a department by having so many yeah. connections with so many other departments. Okay. Um, and Beth, can you tell us if there have been any recent advancements or emerging trends in the field of genetic testing? Mm-hmm. So I think what's going to be cropping up very shortly um, in the UK is around changes to the newborn screening So there's going to be some introduction of WGS, which stands for whole genome sequencing. So what that means is rather than looking at something very, very specific in our DNA, sort of looking at 
very, very broadly looking at, you know, the whole genome. And that's to try and help find some of these rare conditions that will be impacting um, babies to try and get the appropriate medication and treatments in earlier. So that's um, going to be be rolling out very, very shortly. So Genomics England are uh, handling that. So they've got all the information on their their website. But um, also sort of the buzzword in genetics is mainstreaming. And mainstreaming means that clinicians not in genetics are able to order genetic tests. Mm-hmm. So some of that has already started to happen. So say in like the breast cancer units, if there seems to be, you know, a suspicious family history and a patient um, also maybe has a particularly young or particular type of, of breast cancer, then they're, uh, consultants can order some genetic testing and see if they maybe have a BRCA1, BRCA2 and some of the other breast cancer genes. So whilst that sounds like genetics are going, right, you guys, you can do, you can do our jobs. It's not that. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> helping making genetic testing more accessible and that people don't have to come for another referral, wait on waiting lists to then have genetic testing via us and of course, if a um, someone in the breast unit finds, oh, okay, this patient does have a gene, they can be referred to clinical genetics as well, especially if their relatives could have a, a gene as well. Mm-hmm. And I think for the Soft UK families and people listening to the podcast, it's useful to know about NIPD, so the diagnostic testing in pregnancy and how the introduction to that is giving families knowledge and options which is ultimately just going to help support parents care babies care and families care when they've got the options in front of them and they can decide what's going to be best for them moving forward so that NIPD just tell us what that stands for please so non-invasive prenatal diagnosis Okay. Okay. So is that is that um, it's it's got another name, a colloquial name, something like the silent test or the um, can't think of what else it's called. But that's it's also a blood test available. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? If you have if your results at the twelve week screening point, those are flagging a higher risk. I think then you get referred to have the NIPT or NIPB. Yeah. So if you've got that high risk of in high risk in pregnancy of certain genetic conditions then nipd can be available to you know give that diagnosis and you know some people choose not to have nipd some people do so again it's that option of whether it's going to be best for the family on whether they want to know baby's got a condition or not okay super um and then I think we've we've kind of already touched on the description of trisomy 13 and 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, I suppose it's an assumption that most people listening to this podcast will have a basic working understanding of it. Um, but 
for families affected by these conditions, what, what specific challenges or considerations arise in the context of genetic testing um, and how can your counselling support them? Mm-hmm. So in terms of for clinical genetics, if a family has had a child with trisomy 13, 18 and sort of organising the testing around that, it's more likely that that will be not done in clinical genetics and that's partly because of the mainstreaming it will be done by like the fetal medicine units but from our side it's sort of like what we touched on earlier about those sort of translocations Mm. so from for us it could be that a um, couple have had some recurrent miscarriages so sort of three or more and doesn't seem to be an explanation for why. It can be that their doctor then orders a carrier type. So that's looking at their chromosomes down a microscope for both mum and dad. And that can reveal that maybe mum or dad has a translocation mm-hmm. and it could be involving chromosome 13 or 18. And because of that involvement of 1318, it could put a pregnancy at risk of having um, Edwards or Patel's. And then we might see a patient who's had that result and then wants to find out more of what trisomy 13 and 18 is and Mm. the potential effects it might have on them having children. And so in that instance, it could be that they see a genetic counsellor and then they have a second appointment to come and see one of our consultants and um, they may want to do something called segregation analysis, which is a fancy word for meaning we look at their translocation, so their bit of chromosome that's somewhere else, and they calculate what the chances of having a baby with, you know, trisomy oh. 13 or 18, and that can help give that information for for parents in moving forward for what they'd like to do. Oh, very interesting. I've not heard of that before. So that's that's one one to bookmark, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And Beth, I'd be interested to know: Have you um, personally come across any families affected by either of these conditions? So I've seen a couple in regards to having a balanced translocation. So okay. they unfortunately had a had a number of miscarriages um, in in succession. And they'd had a carrier type had been ordered, and it found that um, mum was a, was had a balanced translocation involving chromosome thirteen. So they won't have known that they had this translocation before they'd had the test because they'd been, you know, they were living a healthy life. They didn't have any worrying symptoms, mm-hmm. and it's not likely that they will. But because of the multiple miscarriages, it then sort of raised mm-hmm. that flag of this is not what we'd expect for someone who's young, living a healthy life. So that's when it was found about the translocation. So we met and had a discussion about what that result means for them and what it means for regards to family planning. And Mm -hmm. they'd actually done some research on trisomy 13 as well. So they were asking me specific questions about um, what that means and um, what sort of a, a baby that has trisomy 13, what their life could look like. So mm-hmm. have a sort of discussion. And um, yeah, so that's sort of where I've got to on, 
on right. that because like I say we don't see too many really who no. try to be 13 18 genetics it's more when it comes to the translocations okay yeah I mean they they rare conditions to to begin with and I think translocation yeah. is even more so so you it's interesting that you've really come across someone with with that so yeah very interesting yeah Beth, it's been great hearing your insights um, and all about your experience. Thank you so much for sharing your time. Um, and to our listeners, thank you so much um, for tuning, tuning in to this discussion. We, we really hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I certainly have. <laughs> so, yeah, whether you're an expectant parent, a bereaved parent, a family member or a professional seeking support or information, we are here for you. So please reach out to SOFT and our contact details can be found in the podcast blurb. Thanks again, Beth.